Welcome to the latest episode of Be Attento. I am Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Rant9 Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Attento podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors, and is brought to you by Attento Capital, a Telso-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment and local economic development and job creation. Attento is Spanish for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite as Atento Capital seeks to embody these characteristics to all of its stakeholders. In today's episode, Sean and Aaron interview Michael Bosch, managing partner and founder of Atento Capital, as he tells you the story about himself and the story about how Atento Capital came to be. I want to thank you for joining the Be Atento podcast with our guest, Michael Bosch. Managing Director of Atento Capital. So tell us a little bit about the Michael Bosch story. My story starts in 1984, like the book, in San Francisco, where I was born and lived uh, until I was three. And I moved to LA where I was raised, went to USC undergrad and USC business school before moving to New York, London, then Tel Aviv, uh, where actually my wife and got married, and then back to New York and then Tulsa. My background over, over all those different geographies. Mainly was in startups. I started working at a coffee shop when I was 16 and I started as a barista and then worked my way up and ended up running the store and then opened a bunch of other stores and did that through undergrad and business school through 2007. While I was doing that, my friends had started a t-shirt company called BAMCO, selling t-shirts at our university to fraternities and sororities. I joined as the fifth partner and we built that business. We bootstrapped it with new outside investment to $37 million in revenue, 160 people across six countries. And sold it to a publicly traded uniform company called Superior Uniform Group. That took me to New York and then London. While I was doing that, I started investing in real estate and startups, invested in an Israeli startup. And when I left London and moved to Israel, started doing some consulting work for them, ended up coming on board to kind of co-run the company as the president. I helped build that from five to 45 people, zero to $16 million in revenue over two years across four countries. And then left that in 2006. 16, pretty abruptly, to work on Hillary Clinton's failed presidential efforts. I was organizing in Madison, Wisconsin for the campaign. I, I don't know if I would be able to live with myself if I didn't do it because we lost, and I'm happy I did it. And I'm uh, upset we lost, though, I, I must say, if we didn't lose, I don't think I'd end up in Tulsa. I don't think I would have met my wife. I think like so many things would have been differently. On the other hand, if we didn't lose, we wouldn't have had four years of our current administration. <laughs> Anyways, that was that was the first step. It got me to Tulsa. And so when we, I, I, well, I briefly ran for, off, uh, for mayor of New York, which is a story for another day, <laughs> four months and four days. But got the pleasure of visiting Tulsa in September 2017. I got to meet the George Kaiser Family Foundation, Ken Levitt, who was the, the, the head of the foundation, as well as Robert Thomas, who leads the investment team, and a few others, including George. And I uh, really believe in the mission of addressing intergenerational poverty. And, uh, and the foundation was kind of thinking about economic development more so than before and thinking about tech companies and helping to invest in tech companies and recruit tech companies and creating tech jobs and kind of diversifying the economy. And next thing I know, I'm organizing a weekend of 60 of my friends to come to town. And, and, and the next thing I know, I'm moving to Tulsa and kind of getting involved in trying to kind of take with the help catalyze the foundation that's already been built into really driving tech jobs and entrepreneurship. And that was kind of the impetus of Tento Capital birthed from. And I was working with the foundation as an as outside consultant for the first few years. And then now, as of about a year ago, Tento Capital was formed and, and we've got a wonderful team. And we're an early stage VC 
investing locally in founders here as well as non-locally in kind of growth stage companies and helping tech companies expand to Tulsa and kind of all things tech jobs. What is the story of Atento over this last year? We're coming up right now on the one year anniversary just in a few days. Talk about that. So Atento, which started off as just four of us, has expanded. And I don't know the official head count. But <laughs> <laughs> it expands daily. <laughs> there seems to be quite a few of us, attendants. And you know, our main, you know, we serve a couple of functions, uh, all of which are, are enclosed with kind of job creation, upward a- access to upward mobility, providing capital and, re- and human capital and resources to folks that might not have access to otherwise, and and really trying to kind of build Tulsa's tech ecosystem via jobs and work with local founders or recruit founders who aren't local to help be, be local founders or recruit tech companies who aren't here to expand into here and using investment as a mechanism as well as kind of recruiting, offering recruiting services and talent services and, and relocation matches and a variety of different efforts to try and make it just such a no-brainer if you're an entrepreneur and you have a startup or you're a tech CEO and you have a company to expand to Tulsa. And within that, we've done a variety of different operational operational things. We've set up last year an organization called Tulsa Responds, which is inspired by one of our attenders, McKenna Raley, and now led by Marcella Swenson, which, which really is a variety of different efforts. In the beginning, it was to help small businesses with their PPP loans, and now it's kind of a skunk works, whatever the community needs, let's ramp it up quickly. I believe Jesse's involved with it and many other people in our, in our, in our ecosystem. And we've also helped stand up Summer Tulsa and Tulsa Service Year and other other different efforts in town. And we we Atento means helpful, and we really just try to be kind of maximally helpful. You know, one of the things you, you touched on was some of the different initiatives that have been launched at Atento, but also through GKFF. And so, like, what what does make Tulsa such a great place? for founders to start their businesses in? Like why Tulsa? Like if, if you're talking to a founder and they have the choice of going to San Francisco or Los Angeles or, you know, Chicago or Miami, Florida is, is, has become really popular recently. Like what's your kind of sales pitch to them? Like, hey, like check out Tulsa. I've lived in San Francisco and New York and spent plenty of times in Miami. Um, <laughs> and a lot of friends of mine are really, especially with COVID, moved from New York and San Francisco to LA and Miami more than ever really Miami, especially. I think there's a lot of things to like about those markets. And I think that you, those markets ha- are, especially LA, New York, and San Francisco are kind of known quantities. And there's a, a kind of full tech ecosystem of, of venture capital and founders and engineers. But I think, especially if you think about San Francisco is what, is what maturation looks like. And this is where everything else is moving towards. It's very homogenous. It's very expensive. There's the, ha- the the haves and the have-nots, and you have huge homeless problems and and all in deep inequality. And I think technology exacerbates the 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 people that are on the right and wrong side of poverty by the automation of things and by the empowerment of things and the people that have a level of education and ability to do so and don't. And without the intentionality about providing. Programs like Holberton, which is which offers living stipends to those that can't afford not to work, and Foundry Foundry College provides Salesforce admin or project management certificates at no cost to the folks. And these are like fifty thousand dollars plus jobs. And Satellite, which trains in customer success and sales for tech companies, also sixty k plus jobs with no cost to the to the people that that are enroll. These are mechanisms that provide upward mobility for people that might not have access to the tech sector that do and. 
and Tulsa has a pretty kind of inclusive community of people wanting to help people, people willing to take meetings. Obviously, the cost basis is very low, which is nice. It allows less investment. You don't need as much money to be successful because you don't have to pay your engineers a quarter million dollars to start. And so I think there's definitely like, if you're building a media company, you should probably be in LA. Like if you're being a media tech company, probably LA makes the most sense for you. If you're building a fashion company, probably LA or New York makes the most sense for you. If you're building an enterprise business or a B2B business or an ed tech business or a health tech business, you don't need to be in any of these really expensive um, markets. You can be equally successful almost anywhere. And if anything that COVID has has done is democratized all of America and all of the world in a lot of ways is everything's remote. Yep, yep. And so if you're going to be fully remote anyways, why pay in New York $5,000 a month for a two-bedroom apartment? What would I get you in Tulsa, Mike? I mean, my mortgage on a five-bedroom home is less than that. I think that there's right situations for those cities. And I think there's right situations for Tulsa. And I think, that, I think the pandemic's really net benefited a place like Tulsa from a democratization of human capital perspective. And, and I think it's not just why Tulsa, but why Tulsa right now. Yeah. yeah. And, a good point. Is how I really think of even from three years ago when I first moved here. I don't think there's been a week where there hasn't been like an article about how a city like San Francisco and New York, you don't need to be in these big cities anymore. Everything you just touched on. And so how is like, how can like Tulsa really position itself to kind of take advantage of that? this migration that you're seeing of people leaving San Francisco in New York and are like looking for places like Tulsa, like how can Tulsa really do a good job of positioning itself over say a city like Chattanooga or Birmingham, Alabama, some of these more comparable cities, maybe not like a Miami or like a New or, or a Chicago, but some of like a city a little bit more comparable in size. I think Tulsa's most unique thing, and I actually own this URL. It's like, uh-oh, here we go. If Tulsa, if Tulsa, if Tulsa was going to have a slogan, I, I joke that it would be, where mission matters. I think people that are attracted to Tulsa are very mission-oriented. I yeah. I'd like to think of myself as mission-oriented. I think both of you guys, I would describe that way as well. And I think different people have different whys and different missions and different things that they're power, uh, passionate about. But I think people move here because it's a city, there's a million people in the metro area, but it's still small enough where you can kind of make a difference. And generally, people who are in LA, New York, you might be going to happy hours. In Tulsa, you're kind of spending your nights on philanthropic boards or volunteering or really getting involved in the community. And that's not the same way in a lot of places, at least in the big cities I lived in, where America's most philanthropic city, highest amount of philanthropic dollars per capita, which allows a lot to be possible. And I think that it attracts when you have such deep philanthropy ingrained in the blood of the ethos of the city. I think it attracts a certain kind of person that, that wants to be part of that kind of making the world better. And I think that that really is a, a truly unique asset to Tulsa that, you know, no other city has. Mike, you just said something really good. You, you said a minute ago, that's not as much of why Tulsa, but why Tulsa now? Let's talk a little bit about, What's going on now in Tulsa that's making it so exciting that that has changed, even like you said, in the last three years or four years? What What is it about it? What's What's cooking right now that has us at the precipice of something great or great to happen? Yeah, I mean, five years ago, there wasn't any gathering place, which is this kind of $500 million, 100 acre park that I call a kind of Central Park meets Disneyland as like the <laughs> largest private gift to a city ever. There was the Arts District didn't have a co-working space called 36 Degrees North that exists. Arts District was like half of the, what it is right now, you know, with six different locations with cranes on it and a ton of development happening as we speak. Mm-hmm. 
And look, I mean, we've got we've had more venture capital invested in Tulsa in the last two years than we did in the five before combined. And so you're really starting to see kind of an uptick. And in addition to that, in addition to the George Kaiser Foundation spent over $100 million building this arts district. And now you have private developers that have jumped in here as well. And it's not, it's not just philanthropic dollars. You've got this massive park. So like the livability of the city has really improved. Mm. I heard the downtown used to be absolute crickets on nights and weekends. And a guy named Elliot Nelson and the McNally's group have built all these different bars and restaurants. And Chip Gabarino and built all these different bars and restaurants. And there's several, and it's not any one person. It's kind of an entire community of people. And if you kind of look in, in the three years that I've been here, the 36 degrees north now is going from one location, open up a second location, now they're opening up a third location. That's going to have a combined you know, over 60,000 square feet on the management uh, with dream, dreams and a plan to another 120,000 feet beyond that. Wow. And, you know, that's because there's young, vibrant people that want this kind of socialized work experience, that want to be part of a community. Tulsa Remote, which didn't exist, started in November, 7th, November 2018, has had 500-ish people move here, plus spouses and kids, expecting to hopefully double that next year. Those are real numbers. I think they've Whoa. had something like 40,000 applicants to date. You know, these are people that want to move to Tulsa. And it's like the admittance rate is is something like one or two percent. It's almost easier to get into Harvard. <laughs> and, and it is it is a case study at Harvard. Yeah, it's also yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah. that. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's worth reading. Oh, that's um, cool. It's a good, good hour read. But but the reason I think why now is there's no singular reason. Beat all these different academies or PhD programs at, at TU or. Tulsa Remote or the co-working space and the arts district or gathering place, mm-hmm. you know, be the pandemic, having all these people leave San Francisco, New York and people working remotely and wanting space. And you can see that in the real estate market just exploding these last six months. Yes. Be all these different factors. Tulsa's never been more interesting. Mm. And, and I, I think it's awesome to see my, I moved here three or so years ago. Now my dad and cousin moved here two years ago. My brother and his wife moved here this year. There's seven Boshes in Tulsa. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, watch out. So, you know, land in his van. And, and, <laughs> and I think I also have had a bunch of friends move here. And, yeah. and people visit and like it. And, and that is something that just kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. Tulsa's and, very sticky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the most part, yeah, once people come, they stay. Yeah. It's, yeah. Nice. it's nice life. People are friendly. You have a good quality of life. You can do meaningful work. You can you feel fulfilled. Yep. And I think, I think that people... In a world that so there's so much negativity and divisiveness and uncertainty geopolitically, climate-wise, a million different things, people want purpose and meaning. And I think, like again, kind of back to where mission matters. I think, like now more than ever, I think that people are feeling that resonates here in Tulsa. You're being real modest here because you just gave this whole uh, litany of reasons why Tulsa. You've yet to mention why what role Tinto has played in that. What, what role has Atento played in this evolution of Tulsa or is playing in this evolution? I mean, look, I think, I think we're a important component in a bigger wheel. I would give really the George Kaiser Family Foundation as the, really the true, I mean, talk about a unique asset, a $4 billion place made, place-based foundation focusing on one geography with not like 99% of its philanthropy. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's huge. It's, it's such an unfair advantage the city yeah. has. Yeah. And like one of the most, you know, smallest city and state budgets in the country where you have like such low tax dollars. So for you businesses that are want low taxes, I just read an article that Tulsa is like number one in the country in the taxes. Um, and so the foundation really has made the difference in, in my opinion. And so you know, we are lucky to serve at the will of the foundation, the pleasure of the foundation, um, and and they fund us and our work, and and we're very grateful for it. And I think that we participate in in 
you know, the ideation and execution of, of a variety of different parts of these kinds of initiatives. But if it wasn't for such a long, long viewed foundation, you know, behind this and really, um, you know, beating the Tulsa drum and there's ups and downs and there's times where you have huge successes and there's times also where you look at, are we making progress legislatively and other things that aren't always encouraging the George Kaiser Foundation has really stuck with it. And Atento has been a keep a part of it, but I don't want to over overplay our, our role. We're one year old and the foundation has been doing it for 14 years. Yeah. And there's only so much that we can do even with me landing three years ago and starting my, my work three years ago and Atento's work a year ago. We played a small role, but the foundation has built up this entire foundation to help us get to this point and continue to expand their work and effort locally. And I really attribute the lion's share of everything. Uh, I, I give them a lot of credit. And to, by the way, there's more from the George Kaiser Family Foundation. You have the Charles and Lynn Schusterman Family Foundation, the Lubbock Taylor Family Foundation, the Zara Family Foundation, the Warren Family Foundation. We have so many different foundations tackling yeah. different systemic yeah. issues here in Tulsa, mm-hmm. be it healthcare or mental health or housing, access to affordable housing, yeah. a variety of different things. And there's not, it really is, I mean, as wonderful as GKFF is, and they're definitely the big gorilla, there's so many other people at the table that are also doing important work. Yep. And so we at Atento, like, we want to be helpful for sure. And like maximizing our contribution, our impact and our ability to help others impact. But we really are just a small, a small, like little grain of rice. in there. <laughs> it definitely seems like there's, there's that alignment though, kind of across organizations and, and, and the foundations. Like it seems like almost all these entities and these organizations are really working towards like the same thing, which is really, really exciting. At least that's that's the feeling I've gotten being here in the short time I've been here and just having talked to people in the ecosystem. Obviously, Tulsa is not a perfect city and like the ecosystem still has a lot of room to grow. Like in your opinion, how can Tulsa as a city improve, but how can the ecosystem also improve along with it? Yeah, it's so funny. I was on a call with Duke, a research group in Duke, and they asked me, if you could change one thing about Tulsa. <laughs> uh, change as it pertains to like the ecosystem or the technology ecosystem or the ecosystem. I said, if there's one thing that we could get, there's land in Tulsa and like, like that would be overnight, I think game changing. I said it and I feel, and I, I didn't put much thought in this. It was kind of what I had to come up with on the spot was a unicorn led by a black woman. And mm. I think both a, all the jobs that would create, but in everything that comes with a unicorn, but then be showing Tulsa like what's possible and showing every young person of color what's possible and kind of adding a little bit of diversity to our CEO pool here in town for all the reasons. If there's one thing, and so we're kind of thinking about trying to be like maximally intentional in terms of how we deploy capital and who we spend time with the entrepreneurs we work with. It's like, how can we make enough little bets and, yeah. and, and get enough things going that maybe one of these folks you know, turns into something big. Yeah, yeah. And and that's kind of what we're in the business of doing is, yeah. is like trying to plant a bunch of seeds, nurture as many seeds as we can. Not every seed is going to be this massive like oak tree, but maybe one will be. And that's not something that, you know, trees, oak trees aren't built overnight. It takes right. technically a decade or more to get them fully to other potential. I don't even know. The centuries take years. But that really, A, any a unicorn, you know, look at Oklahoma City with Paycom. It's, I think, the highest valued company in Oklahoma City and a huge employer. That's a huge success, and, and that's great that they have that. And I'd love to see Consumer Affairs or, 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 or Ten Street or one of our tech companies turn into that. But I'd love even more if we could find a wonderful young Hispanic or black woman from North Tulsa or East Tulsa and work with them and see them be successful and see them go through 
go through and learn how to code or whatever it is and build a company, build it successfully and build it here and hire people that look like them and create wealth and jobs. And that would really show other people what's possible and hopefully like really like give our local ecosystem, in my opinion, the kind of the the fire, like like the fire and the ignition that, that it really, really could use. So put it on your investor hat for a second. So we were just talking about founders. What's the kind of the, like the Mike Bosch perfect profile of a really great founder that, that you think Attentive should invest in? Every founder is different. If you're, you know, if you're going to close your eyes, like, okay, well, they went to Harvard and Stanford Business School. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they already have an exit. They already have an exit. And they just so happen to, for whatever reason, be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, like, <laughs> and like, that would be like, we wait for that. We'll never make an investment. In a perfect world where we have the A, the, well, A, one of the questions is how can you expand the set of the funnel that we have in front of us? So we've you know, successfully done six local investments. We've our six local investments, five of which we've moved the founders here. Mm. And so in my opinion, dug in to find really talented humans that aren't necessarily here today and, and A, kind of underwritten them and their idea and the addressable market and B, kind of convincing them to, to, to in our mission in Tulsa and join us here physically. But in, as we kind of think about founders broadly, I'd say that you know, the, the most important quality we look for from founders are things like grit and ability to sustain and ability to work through difficult situations, obviously problem solving, you know, ability to build a team, ability to inspire people and inspire customers to give them a chance when they have no, they've never had another customer and inspire investors to want to invest, inspire people to want to work for them for less money than they get somewhere else or for free. Have to be able to do all of these things. And really it's kind of founder company fits. Like why are you the right person to build this company? And why, why does this company exist right now? And is the market you are trying to undertake big enough that if you're successful, this will be a big company and create lots of jobs and a good return on investment. I think all that kind of summates into potential. It's like, it's like, what is the potential of this person? Like the founders, we're comfortable investing earlier than most funds. Um, you know, we invest at ideation at times and we're comfortable investing in first-time founders and, and two of our six investments are founders right out of college. And, and, but we see the potential and the talent of these founders and, and they're, they're tackling big problems. And, and as I think of these like two particular founders or groups of founders is one has two people, one has four people. I'm convinced definitively that these six people will build a great company. I don't know if this is going to be that company. I, I think it will be, which is why we're invested in it and why we're working on it. But I do know that even if this isn't the company, if we do a, right, a good job by them and they learn a ton and they figure out what went wrong and figure out what they can do next time and they like Tulsa and they like us, that their next company we will be successful. And you got to look in the ecosystem, the long term of you know, just the experience of building a company right out of college for the next two, three, four, five, six, seven years, whatever it is, successful or not successful, the amount of experience that these founders will get and, and, and chops that they'll get from this. And if they stick around in Tulsa for their next company, like the data will show that next company has such a high likelihood for success um, versus the first company. That being said, we're trying to do everything we can on the Intento side to be helpful and give them an unfair advantage in human capital and resources and introductions and mentoring and coaching and recruiting and all the things that we can to give them every chance to be successful. So is there a local founder that, that we have invested in or that you've at least worked with in the past that you could talk about that sort of exemplifies all that? Well, we have so many great founders, but I mean- in terms, of, in terms of like that high potential human? Yes, yeah. I mean, so things I'm biased towards, I'm probably biased towards immigrant founders. And immigrant, for someone to have the courage to move to another country in and of itself, 
shows a certain level of grit and willingness and, and comfort with the unknown, let alone build a whole life and be successful. I think with that being said, I'll give two different examples for really different reasons. I think Martin Lean at RespondFlow, I see that that man running a big company one day. I think he has, I think he's it's impressive on his just kind of his, his, his business chops at a very young age and kind of talk about a guy that's convinced all of his friends to like quit their jobs and live in a house and pay themselves like nothing and build a company together and get all these other people to work for very little or nothing to go work there and convince a bunch of customers made in the CBD business to sign on to their platform. And he's and, and they're in an industry that their technology's good, but not that differentiated. But these guys, I believe, will out hustle the competition. And that's the bet. The bet really is on these guys that hustle. I think that they've got a good shot at it. And I think that they're gonna like outwork everyone else to figure out what is their niche and how are they gonna differentiate more. And I I, I think they will they will out sweat their competition. And and that's the bet there. And I really believe all, all four of the guys were really the leadership of Martin. Um, I also really believe in Edna at Bottle, as well as Clarence, her, the, her co-founder and slash husband. But Edna, created here from Ghana, really exceptional mind, sharp, communicator, not afraid to try things, not afraid to pivot, good thought processes behind how she thinks about things, incredibly warm personality. People want to work for her. So many people work for free for her and Clarence. I'm not giving Clarence enough credit, but, yeah. but Clarence... You know, Clarence is a genius for finding Edna. Right. Um, <laughs> convincing him to marry her, her to marry him and, and, and be his business partner. Uh, so he really is also the hero. But I, I, I think together, you know, that's also a really interesting company. And, and also his background in gaming and taking gaming into the education space. Talk yeah. about founder, founder company fit really makes a lot of sense there. And we believe that, that we believe they're, they're two exceptional humans. I think a year from now, we'll start to see which companies are getting traction, which companies are not. We're less than a year in with both companies still. And so it's just too early to say. What are you looking forward to for Atento in 2021? What do you foresee? We had our first markup on, on investment in Percepto out of Israel. We're starting to see some markups on our initial investments, seeing our founders grow and expand, hopefully some other outside capital coming in, leading follow-on rounds. 2021 is the centennial of the, of the Black Wall Street race massacre. Yep. And I think there's a lot of, I think it could be a thing or not. And I think the Tulsa and the community we're in is something that's actively talked about and actively thought about and that people are working on. And will this be a national moment? Will this be you know, something that's pointed to? And, and will, as like Brandon Oldham would say, will, will, will it be a moment or a movement? Mm-hmm. And I think we see ourselves as similarly to everything else, as kind of a small piece of the pie, but trying to play our role and, and contribute on like kind of the tech investment, the black tech investment side of things in, in that particular niche. And trying to, maybe we can get a top-notch accelerator come to town, not just for this year, but ongoing. Yep. And so how do we put things in motion that will not be a one-time moment of, okay, 100 years from now, we're going to do this thing one time, but set things in motion for the next decade and then turn the next millennium. And so trying to kind of endow an accelerator. And that's not, that is not the silver bullet solution. That is one thing, and there's many organizations, be it Metcares or Black Textry or TDC or a variety of other organizations and churches and different folks in town, Dream Center, et cetera, that are doing important work and have been important work and will continue important work. And we want to contribute what we can. And that's going to be a really big focus for this year is, is making sure that we maximize our contribution to that effort, not just for this year, but this year going forward. And then secondarily, I really think these companies um, are figuring out as vaccines happen and where, you know, are they going back to New York? Are they going to San Francisco? What is the future geographic location of all these companies? Now I do think is our moment is all these companies are kind of rethinking about the geographic locations of their offices. Can we not capture some of that in Tulsa? 
And that will be a big effort this year that, that we'll, we'll put a lot of thought towards. And so, so yeah, I think this 2021's got quite a bit on its plate. And you got the new, new baby. And I have a new baby, uh, Leo, who's uh, six weeks old and excited. Hopefully this year he's walking and talking. Uh, we'll see. No pressure, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe sleeping through the night. <laughs> um, I think, man, I mean, it's hard to even, it's like, it feels like after 2020, it's like hard to say at the beginning of the year, what's it aim for? <laughs> so much can happen. Right. But I do think this will be a year that once you can kind of get through the first part of it, between the political situation and the lack of vaccine rollout, but I'm overall optimistic, both locally in Tulsa, specifically with the Tento, and kind of nationally, politically, and, and geopolitically. Let me ask you this real quick, Mike. What what makes you smile when you talk about a Tento? I don't know if it's a conscious thing. I really am just excited and impassioned about the work we do. I think that I really love the people I work with. I think a lot of people watching people. I think the, the team at Atento uh, really does an unbelievable job of kind of not just achieving their own personal potential and maybe even, you know, even kind of shattering what, what might be the expectations of their own personal potential, but really collaborating with other organizations and other people and bringing more people into the umbrella and, more, and really working collectively with our, a variety of stakeholders across town to kind of do great work. And I think the investments are coming along well. I love the entrepreneurs we're working with. We've seen their struggles. We're seeing their successes. We're in the trenches with them. You know, I, I think that that's incredibly fulfilling. We're watching them grow as founders, grow as humans, and, and very much the same with the team. I mean, no one, no one at Atento was doing this exact work before they came to Atento. Uh, and so all, everyone is flexing new muscles and everyone's kind of growing and like making mistakes and getting better and forgetting this and doing that. And it's kind of, you know, watching the progress and it's like, you get day to day, it came like me, like, man, like, why aren't we here yet? But then you like look back on a month or two months or a year, and you're like, man, we've actually come came a long, long way. way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we're one year old on January 6th, and a lot, of, I mean, a lot has changed. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have, you know, we have a, a whole, you know, much bigger team out of our founding four people. One, someone at Tulsa Responds, Marcella, and she's running that. The other one has a startup called IDA Chandler. He's running that. So two of the people have spun up and are leading their own organizations or companies. And like that is That's powerful. And they are employing other people. You know, next year, maybe four people are doing that. And, you know, you've got Sky's Limit in here and you work with our local startups and you got Jesse who's involved with Tulsa Responds. We just want to kind of keep doing those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think if as we're doing that and then the other company started and those people are doing it and all of a sudden you start to have this like, Kind of domino effect, you know. You might like like wake up one day and like maybe like an entire ecosystem. Yeah, and, and, and so I smile at the potential. Yeah, and one last question. I think I'm the youngest person on our team. You got so many attentions. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not including not including the attenturns. I'd love to hear like what sort of advice would you give to 25, 26 year old Mike Bosch? Like if you could go back and, and revisit the Mike Bosch at, at USC and back in LA, <laughs> what sort of advice would you uh, would you give your, yourself? Well, probably not to open up a nightclub <laughs> or a condom subscription service, um, both of which I did. Wait, a condom subscription service? Yeah, Google the Coxman Club. <laughs> you got to have losses to get wins, bro. you got to have losses to get wins. Oh, <laughs> not every venture works. you got to be resilient. you got to try things. We lost the 2016 presidential campaign. Yeah. Not everything's going to be a win. Right. There was one loss and one, one, 
one good good life experience, bad bad financial decision, which is the nightclub. What would I tell a 25-year-old me? So my life is kind of broken into three tranches. And I grew up in LA. My parents both worked in nonprofit. And I grew up kind of in a somewhat socialist household that is not about doing well, but about doing good. And so by like zero to 16, like most of the influence on my life was around that. You know, I was selling lemonade as a kid and it was actually quite lucrative. But that was like, like very capitalist for my family. My mother's father helped me with that. So thankful for him. He was like a vacuum salesman type guy. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, like, like kind of GI Bill kind of was in World War II, like your kind of American story. And then when I was 16, Aaron knows the story. I don't know if Sean does. Jesse probably doesn't. When I was 16, you know, I watched see my dad stopped working when I was 13, basically, until I was 16. And over the course of a few years, we kind of ran out of money. We just didn't make enough money to sell our house. My parents divorced. I had a heart attack the day we were moving. I walked in on my dad and put one on the floor of his office and just like took him to the hospital. And I decided when I was 16 years old, I wanted to be a capitalist. I was like, forget this doing good stuff. All my friends whose parents are bankers and lawyers and doctors are not going through these kinds of things. And in hindsight, it's not like I was in poverty because I definitely wasn't. These are definitely like first world type problems, but, but my life had significantly changed. We moved my mom and my brother and I moved into a duplex right behind the Mo Beta Mini Me Burger in Little <laughs> Ethiopia, which is a lovely neighborhood in LA. And it's actually gotten really expensive. And we probably should have bought the house and kept it now that I think about it. But, but it was a, it was a definite, like, it was a wake up call. So is this what I want? And, and I decided I wanted to make sure that you know, my finances never impacted where I had to live or my family or the kind of stability of my family. And so I decided to kind of go to work. And I worked. You know, I finished college in three years. I was the youngest at the time to ever graduate from USC MBA. But I was, while doing both those things, working 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever many hours per week. At one point, I had coffee, the coffee shops. I was teaching, teaching the GMAT, uh, side hustling t-shirts, and I was in business school. And like that was like a week, like all in a week's work. And I'm really happy I did it. You know, worked my tush off, traveled, saw the world, spent all my 20s doing that. But I woke up at 30, like literally the morning of my 30th, 30, the day after my 30th birthday. And if you can imagine, I was living in London. I had at that point in time, like financially done okay, nothing crazy. And I woke up and I was like in, in, in Cannes, uh, in France, in Saint-Tropez, mm-hmm. uh, with like 77 of my closest friends. And it's like five day, 30th birthday. And I was like kind of looking back, like similar to my wedding, actually. Bosh like fest. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and without, without Romy's, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't quite so feeling. But I woke up and like, and like, what the heck am I doing with my life? And, and I woke up and I felt really empty and like, sure, I traveled and I was able to you know, do different things financially with my family and done well and our company done well, et cetera. But like, you know, where's our business? Practicing the values that I really cared about was... I making the was the world better for me having been born. And I felt like, man, right. I didn't want to wake up at 40 feeling the same way. And it, you know, I, at that point in time, I moved to Israel. I took a leave of absence from business. We eventually sold it. And I ended up running one more company for two years. I kind of fell into that I invested in, but then I went to work on Clinton campaign and, and, and beginning in 2016, I was kind of out of the private sector largely and kind of in the business of not just how can you do well, but also do good. And, and I really do believe in the intersection of both. And I think that, you know, when you think about your life and you think about like, when you look back on your life and you think about like at your funeral, whenever that's going to be at the end of your time, at the end of your days, aside from the things you want to be like the best father, or the best husband, or the best friend, the best like loved ones, those around you. Like I deeply believe that you should find like maximum fulfillment in the work that you do and how you spend your hours on earth to, to maximize your contribution to your family and friends and community and, and 
humanity. Talking about 25 year old self, like optimize to your potential, optimize your contribution. It's not that you have to like forego making good money to do these things always, though some, some people choose to do that, but there can you incorporate both? And can you do good and well? And can you help others? And can you make the world better? And can you help people help others? And part of that in the beginning is like, how can you improve your own skill set as much as you can as a 25-year-old that by the time you're 30 or 35, enough to be dangerous to help others? Or you know enough, you know, and so so you know, I don't know if my 25-year-old self, 25-year-old self had the business chops to help other businesses. So, and not everyone should be helping businesses for a living. And so it's figuring out like what is your personal maximum potential? Like what are your geniuses? What are your truly unique skills? And how do you use those geniuses and unique skills? to make the world better and, and expand your, help your community and, and maximize the potential of yourself and others. And so I think as a 25 year old, you're just kind of thinking about how do I get a bigger paycheck? And I think like having more intentionality on personal growth and development and achieving potential and helping others uh, would be, it's a really long answer, but it, it would be it's a great my, answer. my recommendation. I think that's the perfect way to conclude. Mike, we want to thank you for your time. I'll say personally, it's a pleasure serving with you and seeing your genius in motion. I'm so glad that you had a chance to tell your story. And I hope that our listeners will enjoy it as much as we have today. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our latest episode of Be Attento. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. Make sure to subscribe and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow Attento Capital across all social media platforms. And we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Attento. Be Attento.